Hello, and welcome back to the Give and Go. I'm your co-host, Reynoso, here with my boy, Soltero, coming at you guys with the hottest takes, the most unbiased and accurate opinions, and the funnest football topics and all in a podcast platform, brother. So this episode will be released on Tuesday. Tomorrow for us, today for the people listening to this right now. And the Champions League matchups will probably already have happened with uh, Real Madrid facing off against Manchester City. We've already said on this podcast that Manchester City is set to win this game. It's not a question of if they win it. It's a question of how many goals they win it by. I do agree with your take on that. Maybe not as passionately. I do agree with it to the point where I have, in a way, joined the potential punishment at hand if we end up being wrong. What is that punishment? 10-page apology written, whether it's by us or ChatGPT, we'll find out. <laughs> right. But a 10-letter page apology and me having a little paragraph in there as well. Mm. With that in mind and knowing that people will know the result of the first leg, give me a prediction for what the score will be and maybe some thoughts you have prior to this game happening. Ah, that's tough. I, 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 I don't like scoreline predictions when it's... Because you've been wrong lately, bro. No, 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 no. Reynoso's been on fire. Reynoso's been on fire. But I don't like score score predictions and in, in first legs because City could get two goals and be like, all right, we already got two goals. We don't need to go any further because we have a whole second game to play. Madrid could do the same thing. All right, guys, we've conceded two goals. Let's just bunker in for a bit and go back to Manchester City. So there's just it's too much so, mind so, games so you're in my saying opinion. You don't want to hear it from either side after the first leg. Like for example, if Real Madrid wins. You don't want to hear shit from them because there's still a second leg to be played. Right. I'm not going to. Same thing for Manchester City as well. Exactly. I'm not going to. Nothing's concrete for me until the second leg is done. Whoever wins that first leg, if it's a draw, I'm still going to back Manchester City yeah. winning the whole thing. Yeah. So it's still yeah. half time. It's halftime at that point. It's halftime it's at half that point. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Well, all right. Since I've been on fire yeah, lately, I got the I got the I got the Manchester City Arsenal prediction right four one. I got the LAFC Philadelphia second leg prediction right three 0 Where I got it wrong was the Leon Tigres semifinal prediction, where Leon almost almost pulled it off. It was two one at one point, and then they scored the game winner to make it three yeah. one. My prediction was it was going to be two two. So to see if I have any sort of juju left, I have. Manchester City. Oh, fuck, man. It's at the Santiago Bernabeu, too. That's what I'm saying. Like, save this for the second leg. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Not when I got the magic touch right now. Okay, true, true, true. Manchester City 2, Real Madrid 1. Okay, yeah, yeah. Confirmed, confirmed. Napoli have won the Scudetto for the first time since 1990. Lifting the trophy, celebrating with their fans. The streets of Naples are flooded Mm. with people chanting and singing their songs. For the first time in over 30 years, Napoli are Serie A champions. Yeah, and congratulations to Napoli. Chucky Lozano, the first Mexican player to win a Serie A title, a Scudetto. Actually pretty dope, honestly. That's a really cool... Like that's a really cool piece of silverware to have on your resume, yeah. especially as a Concacaf player. Like yes. that's really really cool. It's a, such a specific one too because low key most players like go to either La Liga, Premier League, or, or low key even more so the Bundesliga. Italy, from a Concacaf perspective, is almost like an island. We really don't go there. But yeah, just overall thoughts. My first thought was I can't believe it's been 33 years for a yeah. club like Napoli to have not won a, a yeah. title. Like it's so long, dude. That is so long that's 
older than any of us in this room. <laughs> and even producer Rudd. We weren't even alive. None of us were alive when the last time that Napoli won. And then more so beyond that, just the idea that Diego Maradona, you know, who passed away a year ago. Dude. Both of his affiliations winning titles in the same year. Oh, my God. Crazy. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And the, the last time... Why she? Yeah, the last yeah. time Argentina and Napoli both won any big, like their biggest titles, was back when Maradona was playing for them. Yeah. <laughs> man, dude, that's God. that's poetic almost. But that's crazy. I wish he could have been here to see this it year. Been the happiest year of his life. He like, would have been crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! But he's watching from somewhere. Absolutely. Hopefully, he's watching from somewhere. Maybe he had a you know part to play in it, low key oh, spiritually. God, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know how that energy affects that it, energy, man. man. Um, to kind of go off of that, Chucky Lozano winning it as a Mexican, I think that confirms uh, Mexico is the first CONCACAF nation to have a player that played for a championship-winning side in each of Europe's top five leagues. No way. Yeah, yeah. And I believe the one for, and I just learned this, the one for Ligue 1 was Rafa Marquez when he played for Monaco prior to going to Barca. What? He won the league. Yeah. No way. <laughs> what the Yeah, because I was like, who won it in France as a Mexican, dude? Dude. But it was Rafa back then. And then, of course, he did it with uh, Barcelona and Spain. Yeah, yeah. You go over to um, Germany. It was Pavel Pardo with Stuttgart in 2006. That's right. And then who won the Prem France? was Chicharito. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah duh. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think Chicharito might have won the... La Liga as well, perhaps, when he was in, Look, in Spain. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't remember. But yeah, that's five Mexicans wow. that have won it in the top five leagues. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, outside of Brazil and Argentina, I wonder if a Comebol side has done it. I wonder. Oh, yeah. Oh, outside of Brazil and Argentina. Outside of Brazil and Argentina. I zoned out when you said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very important part. It's very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just wonder. Uruguay? That, maybe. Maybe. Perhaps I feel like maybe maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that being said, with Napoli winning the title this season, with Messi lifting the trophy in uh, the, at the World Cup, with what we're seeing this Premier League battle between Arsenal and Manchester City, the Champions League that's being set up right now, I know that a lot of it hasn't been finalized, and I know that it's tough to quantify this. But I was asking myself this question the other day: Is this one of the best seasons of football that you've seen? The 2022 to 2023 football season, which includes the World Cup. Think about years like in 2015, 2016 when Leicester won it, or those years in 2014 when Costa Rica went so deep in the World Cup. I mean, every year has been incredible. But has this year stood out to you as one of the more prominent and more important years that you've seen as a football fanatic yourself? Love the question. I think... From a football talent perspective, yes. Some of the football I've seen on display, going all the way from Brighton to Argentina in the World Cup final, has been world class. We've been saying it, the modern era of football is the best era of football that has ever been played. There's so much talent out there just in general from mid-tier European club football to all the way to Manchester City type of football. This is the best era to be playing this beautiful sport that we all love. There's so much talent out there. But personally, 
I always love a more underdog story to take that type of light as far as what was the craziest thing that happened this year. And it's funny because, you know, I've seen like, I've seen like YouTube comments, Reddit comments, TikTok comments, TikTok comments, not on our channel, but just on football channels in general. And they say, oh yeah, what a great year. PSG wins the French League. Manchester City wins uh, wins the Premier League. Bayern Munich are probably going to win the Bundesliga, right? Like outside of Napoli, the stories are all the same. Barcelona winning La Liga. Yeah. So from a story perspective, outside of Napoli and Argentina, and mainly just because of Argentina players, like it's kind of been a normal season in my opinion. It really has. Manchester City, it shouldn't be a surprise that they're this good. They have an infinite amount of money at their disposal. So when I look at the talent on display, yes, this might be one of the best years, but narrative-wise, I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm always going to back something like Atletico doing something crazy back in 2014, 2016. I'm going to back Leicester uh, winning the league. I'm going to back Monaco winning the league over PSG, over crazier stories in football. Because at the end of the day, we're getting the same narratives being played out in the leagues okay i think i think there's more stories than you're giving credit for I but do. Man, but manchester city madrid no all, no, no, no. all I, in I the champions i think the story of holland breaking a premier league goal scoring record is like the third most important story this season but i thought that was inevitable whereas like something like leicester winning the league that is yeah it's not comparable to that but that's like the third most greatest story right now, which I think is insane because the number one for me is Messi lifting the trophy. That's number one. Argentina, mm-hmm. the whole World Cup run. And the World Cup we saw itself, being that it was the only World Cup to come in between the season as well because we always had summer World Cups. That was so, but weird. That was so rare, so weird, yeah. but it ended up working out great. Napoli winning the title, I think, is a massive, massive story. That's a big one. And then for me, it is Holland. It's Holland going the fuck off. It's him breaking a Premier League goal-scoring record, one that has been held for over 30 years yeah. uh, in the scope of a 42-game season. Him breaking that in less games, doing it at an incredible rate that we haven't even seen in modern football, I think has been incredible as well. And then I think my more minor stories like like a Milan Derby in the Champions League semifinal. Yeah, I know. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Right? Pretty cool. I'm not saying it's the best one I've seen. That's my point. I'm saying it's a top three. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can go top three, but best, I can't put it there. Okay. I, I can't. Even though okay. what you just said are crazy things. Yeah. Like Messi fulfilling that prophecy, that destiny. Yeah. That is crazy. But just like I said, personally, I'm always going to back something even crazier, which is an underdog actually winning something. I'm always yeah. going to back that as a crazier story. Because statistically, Argentina were like the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Na- then. The second-rated nation to lift the trophy, like that means you know just statistically they had a really good chance of winning it. Yeah. So it's like it's not crazy. I think a little bit of context matters. Like I think context behind Arsenal and what they were able to do this season, how close they got at one point, and Manchester City winning at the end of the day, the closest German title race we've ever seen, and that's Mm -hmm. still up for grabs. Mm -hmm. League One, I mean PSG has been somewhat disappointing, but that hasn't really been much of a race. I'll give you that. Looking over at Serie A, a new winner there. Um, Yeah, no. Yeah, I think a little bit of context matters. Absolutely. Because I I don't think it's been as much of a blowout as it used to be in years past. Absolutely. But my only problem with that is I need finality for me to truly remember it and burn it in my brain for 10 years later. Yeah, yeah, you won't remember that. I won't, that's true. I, I won't look, if Dortmund can't pull this off, I won't look at this as being like, oh, Dortmund, like, they were right there. I'll look at it as Dortmund, once again, cannot beat Bayern Munich because that is the truth. And now, yes, 
I know Dortmund's a good team in the Bundesliga. I've always known that. They're always second place. They're always right there. For me to be like, oh, it's a crazy season in the Bundesliga, I need Bayern to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so that, that's why I'm not like... Fair, fair play. Yeah, that, that's why I, 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 definitely, I definitely understand like what teams like Arsenal have done. Absolutely. I've watched nearly every fucking game that they played. <laughs> I definitely know. It's just I need finality for me to truly be like, oh... This was something else. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think it's been clear that the best two players this season that are going to vie for the Ballon d'Or are Erling Haaland and Lionel Messi. But every time there's a Ballon d'Or award given, there's a third place. There's a third place player, a person that lands in third best position. And I was really thinking about this, bro. Who's been the third best player in world football this season? You have nominees like Kevin De Bruyne, who is on, who's close to matching the Premier League record for assists in a season. You have a guy like Victor Rossiman, who guided Napoli to their first title in over 30 years. Shit. Oliver Giroud making the <laughs> Champions right. League semifinal and the right. World Cup final. There's some really interesting nominees. And by Ant- Antoine Griezmann. Antoine Griezmann. The only player outside of Messi to have a double-double this oh, year. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Mbappe. Yeah, still a yeah. really, really still good really, player. Yeah. Amazing World Cup. Yeah. Who's been your third best player this season? That's, a, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. really tough. Bukayo Saka. Uh, someone from Arsenal. Someone from Arsenal. Like, Odegaard's been fantastic yeah. this year. Fantastic. Yeah. Shit, man. It's tough, man. This is tough, but... I'm going to go first on this one. No, please. If Mbappe had been able to continue the pace that he was at after the World Cup, that would have been incredible. And I think that this would have been easily his spot. But he kind of fizzled out, which isn't to say he hasn't stopped scoring because he he like bagged himself like a brace this past weekend. But I think the importance of games he was in just dropped so drastically. Yeah. Uh, they got knocked out of the Coupe de France, knocked out of the Champions League. And they're winning the league. They're winning the league title this season, but even then, it's not been their best season as PSG, as a PSG team as a whole. Mm. Uh, it's still like a five-point gap right now, which is still pretty crazy that it's that close. So I think Mbappe is kind of, I guess Mbappe and PSG themselves have kind of fallen short in that sense. And I think that the third place nominee deserves to be a winner, someone that's on pace to have some sort of silverware. So for me, it's between Kevin De Bruyne. And Victor Osiman, and I think I might actually go Victor Osiman, bro. Okay. I think he deserves it because of his goal scoring ability this season. Headers, volleys, long range shots, tighten the box, whatever it might be, his variety, his ability to just be at the final place when needed most has been incredible. His market value has gone up immensely this season, starting off as a lower level player and now ending the season as probably one of the more lucrative potential signings for any big club right now the path that he has been on i think has just been incredible and lifting the trophy at the end of the day for napoli is just the ultimate sign of or the ultimate reward for him to earn and i'd be down to give him a third place nominee in that balonda or final rankings also would be a great pick obviously would deserve it he's been fantastic in front of goal this year like truly now that i've had time to think about it i think that that last spot is going to come down to accolades obtained at the end of the season. And given that Manchester City are on trouble watch right now. Trouble watch. I think if they are able to even get two of them, that spot is going to go to a Manchester City player. And if I had to pick any other Manchester City player that's not named Erling Holland, I'm going to go Kevin De Bruyne. 
So Kevin O'Brien is going to be my pick. No, good pick. Yeah, I, I can't contest that. Yeah. I can. Yeah. No, good pick. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm about to say something that hasn't been said on any English-speaking football podcast. Oh, shit, I can't guess it. <laughs> I want to congratulate the winners of the 2022 AFC Champions League. <laughs> Urawa! Urawa Red Let's Diamonds. Go. Congratulations. And what was honestly a crazy contested two-legged affair against the mighty royal al-hilal i actually caught both games man and just oh quick takeaways you know because i know most people really haven't seen it but this goes out to all my saudi fans all to our japanese fans if you speak english this goes out to all of you because what a spectacle it was and dude asian top tier football puts on a show it really does and i've been watching the afc champions league for over a decade now but one thing that I've always gotten out of it is that like the pitches, the stadiums, the atmospheres, it's just as good as a European night. It really is. Now, you have to really get to the top tier, you know, like semifinals, finals of Asian football to get it. But man, once you're there, I was just the in spectacle. awe. The it's spectacle. a spectacle. Yeah, yeah. It's still a big, massive it's, stage. It's such a massive stage, yeah. man. And the choreography that was in both stadiums in Al Halal and then in Saitama for Urawa Red Diamonds, I was like, wow, dude, like this is a big, big opportunity and a big match for these players. This means something. Like there's a huge weight to that AFC Champions League trophy. And I get that same feeling every year, just one time when I watch these finals. It's very rare, but I love how I always get reminded of it because the game itself, dude, was so well contested. Al Halal, a very offensive-oriented team with Musa Marega, our boy Salem Aldosari, who got that banger against Argentina. We've got players like Oriani Gallo, Michael, the Brazilian. Cano. Cano, yeah, Mohamed Cano <laughs> in that Cano. midfield. And then Peruvian, you know, or Peruvian craftsman Andre Carrillo is also yeah. in the side, man. It, like, they're such a fun team to watch going forward. But Urawa Red Diamonds employed the best tactic that you could have against a team like this, and it's get physical. Do not let them have space. Every time there's an Al-Halal player trying to receive the ball, be on their hip. Yeah. And do they, they employed their tactics to perfection over the entire two legs. And, dude, completely deserved from Urawa because, dude, at the end of each game, Al-Halal looks so frustrated. They had not faced an opponent that actually made them work yeah. for their goals. And when you look at all the goals that were scored, only three total, 1-1 one, one in the first game, 1-0 for Urawa in the second leg, they, were, they had to be really fought for. And they were actually like down to luck even. Like, that U Urawa, the first one in the first leg. Yes. It's the pose. That was crazy. That was, nuts. that was absolutely crazy. And then that first goal that Al-Halal scored in Al-Halal, um, it was just almost like a defensive mistake. The goalkeeper oh, yeah, didn't really yeah, yeah. get it, and the defender thought the goalkeeper was going to get it, so it ended up being an open net yes. for uh, Salam Adosari. So beyond that, and then the, the game winner inside Dama was a weird header back into the box. It goes past the keeper. Carrillo's fumbles it because it's like right at his feet, but right on the line, and he can't clear it, so he puts it in the back of his own net. It was just crazy. Like That's what had to happen yeah. for there to be a winner in this final but dude such a great contest i encourage anybody out there to like go catch one of the games it's on paramount still on replay if you want to the atmosphere is electric it's such a spectacle and the football's 
at a very top tier, man. It's so enjoyable to watch. And I just love it because it's just different. It really is. The flair of it all, the style of play, uh, it's just different when you compare it to Latin America, Europe especially, but it's still played at a very high level. It just makes it so fun to watch, bro. So again, yeah. congratulations to Odawa, bro, because holy shit. The game was very tightly contested. Very. Three total goals is nuts, man, over two legs. Yeah. That's crazy. But my biggest takeaway, man, was given that the game was just so tight, I mean, what is it that they say pressure makes? <laughs> diamonds and in this case it makes urawa red diamonds yeah man they lived up to their goddamn name they did and they end the season lifting up the afc champions league and so now we have a surefire participant for whatever the next club world cup will be it will not be al halal it will not be any sort of saudi arabian side It'll be a Japanese team in Urawa Red Diamonds representing yeah. Japan, representing this federation, and just bringing something new to the table, man. Yeah. Given that they are such a massive club in Japan, dude, huge team over there. Yeah. It'll be exciting to see them on this big of a stage. Absolutely, man. I I, I was so impressed with how they performed. Just from, from top to bottom, their squad was so well drilled and then also just kind of like a a fun point to note out they have two european center backs a danish and a norwegian and one of them hoy who actually got like the forced goal in that second leg really good player so it's just like a cool pick that like the j league is able to have scouts in europe and be like hey come have a year in japan bro mm-hmm. and beyond that winning a title it's insane. Like, what a cool story arc for that Norwegian player because he's still, like, in his prime in his mid-20s, and he was playing in the Europa League last year. Damn, Yeah, dude. so for Japan to get a player like that, I think is really cool, and it just adds to the level of play that is in Japan. It's yeah, so cool, man, bro. I was going to say, that was a big takeaway after the World Cup was that Asian football in general yeah. is taking a massive step forward. Yes. And now you have, an, they have a Japanese team who... internationally played incredible during the world cup lifting the champions league trophy as well yes dude huh it's a cool parallel interesting yeah 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 Yeah. yeah. like i remember one of my bigger takeaways of japan the national team was they don't rely on stars anymore Mm -hmm. they just rely on being a unit being a collective and that is exactly what urawa did against al-hilal they don't have a... I wouldn't pick, honestly, any of these Urawa teams to like go to my club in Europe, you know? Yeah. As an individual. But you bring them all together and they're incredibly competitive. They're so organized, so well drilled. And that's just... I think that, like you said, it just shows you like the teachings that's going on in like Eastern Asia, Japan specifically, because they're teaching the game right over there, 100%. But Urawa, such a massive club. They were in the finals in 2017, 2019, both all against Al-Hilal. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, Stat. Yeah. They beat them the first time, I think, lost the second, and now they just beat them again. Nice. Crazy, nice. man. And quick shout out to one of my favorite Asian fullbacks, Hiroki Sakai. A nine year career in Europe, coming from Japan, played with Hanover, then ended his European career at Marseille. So, two pretty big clubs and two yeah. big leagues. Goes back to Japan, his homeland, signed with Urawa like a year and a half ago, and here he is, captaining the side and lifting the AFC Champions League trophy against a really good Saudi Arabian side. I love it. Football heritage. Football heritage in Japan. So once again, congratulations to Sakai and to all the people of Urawa. I am with you guys. Congratulations. What a final. Let's go to Mexico, bro. Please. Let's go to Mexico and let's 
talk about these teams. Let's talk about this tournament. Liga and Mekis, the Liga, has now been set up due to the results that we saw this past weekend mm. in the play-in. I honestly don't know where to start, but I'm going to go ahead and start with my own Leon. I think it's only fair. It's all I have on my mind right now, so let's just get this over with and detail exactly what happened on this fateful Sunday night, bro. The way I build this game up was I said that Leon, we're going to have a solid win over Atletico San Luis. Even going as far as to say it'd be somewhat easy. I don't think we'd get like a four or five goal bashing of Atletico, but I did think that we were the better team, and I did think that we would get the result on the night. As kickoff approached, I actually started to get a little nervous, man. Really? I did because... After seeing, like, for example, the Atlas Cruz Azul result and, you know, Santos Pachuca, which we'll talk about, you know, later, I was like, ah, oh, shit, you know, the thing with the repechaje is it's one game, you know, you make a mistake, it's going to be amplified because you don't get the chance to save it in a second leg. So I was like, okay, well, it's 90 minutes. We're still the better team. Let's get this done. The Estadio Leon is rocking. Yeah home game time really i'm like was. okay we're gonna do this we're going to win awesome atmosphere. and after all the fanfare was over with the you know the introductions the team photos the cameras panned to both teams both team huddles right before they would set onto the formation for kickoff atletico san luis it pans to and they're fired up they're screaming at each other they're pointing they're like boys let's fucking go we're on the road come on let's get a dub then it pans to leon and it's a lot more calmer of an atmosphere. It's just, it's just very, very poised mm -hmm. and just very professional, mm -hmm. if you will. And it, it was at that moment that I was like, okay, all right. Atletico San Luis is going to really thrive off of passion, emotion, and, you know, maybe a little bit of dark arts here. Mm -hmm. Whereas Leon, you know, they know they're the better teams. Yes. We know that we're more technical, that we have the better players. So I was like, okay, all right. Atletico San Luis, let's see what you got. And I knew Liga MX was going to put on a fucking show just from a spectacle point of view, man. Game starts, and in the third minute, Victor Davila with one of the classiest finishes this year in Liga MX. Have you seen it, bro? Yes, sir. Did you see it? Yes, sir. Truly, truly uh, full of class. And at that point, dude, I was off my seat. I was okay. screaming, like, Victor Davila at his height can be the best player in Liga MX. You know, I was saying, like, crazy shit. Yeah. And... What's crazy is that Davila's shown this type of prowess when he was back in the Gaxa, when he was a kid. That injury really put him back, man. But I do think that this has been his best year back from just like a, you know, health point of view, but also just numbers-wise. I think he's had a really good year at Leon. Finally, we might be seeing the return of like GOAT-type level of Victor Davila. 1-0, and I'm like, all right, this is exactly what I wanted. Atletico San Luis can come at us with whoever they want but we have the better players. Three minutes later, we make a really bad mistake. A really bad mistake. We literally just give the ball to Atletico San Luis. Leo Bonatini gets the ball, and you know, it's just one-on-one -on -one with the keeper. Cota does something really weird. Oh, bizarre. Really bizarre. weird. He fully gambles, and I mean fully. Doesn't even really look at where Bonatini's might go, and he just gambles that he's gonna go in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And Bonatini doesn't even look like he's going to shoot. Gota's 20 yards off the goal now, and so he just puts it into an open net. Bizarre. Really yeah. bizarre, bro. 
Yeah, it looked like his momentum took him. Like, he was trying to run back into position because he was caught off guard by the defender losing possession, but then he overly committed to that momentum that he had carried on. And so he was off the screen, bro. When the the shot went up, (laughs) he was off the screen. And there was a clear-cut open net for for Atletico San Luis to shoot into, and it was a clear-cut goal, man. One goal and tie game. It's within five minutes, bro. Within five minutes. And the next 10 minutes were just pure chaos. Leon really going at Atletico San Luis, but San Luis kind of getting stretched. I think Davila was really good in those first 15 minutes, but also the rest of Leon, Canelo Angulo getting very involved. And I thought we were going to get that second goal. But San Luis, they stayed strong, they stayed focused, and they prevented us from getting that go-ahead goal. And then after that, man, I'd say after the 15th, 20th minute, Atletico San Luis took over and ended up getting two more goals. The third goal came right before the halftime whistle. And, bro, I was honestly shocked. Shocked. 3-1 going into halftime. But, bro, when Atletico San Luis scored that second goal, the entire bench got off and went, ran onto the pitch to hug Javier Guemes, who scored a beautiful goal, by the way. A beautiful goal, but that's how much it meant to these San Luis fuckers, man. Who knew? Who <laughs> that's knew, the bro? thing. Where was this passion the whole season? The man? whole season. A 13th place team. Actually, 12. Sorry, 12, Santos 12, finished 12. 13th. Yeah. A 12th place team going at Leon. But honestly, completely deserved after the first half because one thing that I realized at halftime was like, wow, Atletico San Luis as a club, as a team had a mission tonight mm-hmm. and do they executed it perfectly it was a, basically a masterclass on how to invade an opposing team stadium because yep. they came in bro and leon had no answers realistically yeah we got that early goal but the longer the game went on the more comfortable atletico san luis got and by the 60th 70th minute we had made some changes but the play on the field didn't change at all, man. We ran out of ideas. And that was something that the commentators really said at the 90th minute. They're like, laying out the second half, they have the coaching staff, they have the players, they have the technical ability, but they forgot football. <laughs> they forgot all of the ideas on how to attack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was a really pathetic performance in the second half, but more so Atletico San Luis with an incredible defensive display mm-hmm. because we couldn't find space. We couldn't take players one-on-one. We couldn't string together more than three progressive passes, but it was all because Atletico San Luis made it incredibly difficult. But then beyond that, they made our backline really worried about what was coming at them, bro. John Murillo on the left wing was a constant nuisance for Leon's defense the entire game, man. Dude, that guy's so fast. And I, we knew that going into the game, but dude, his relentlessness, its that's tough to face for 90 minutes. Juan Manuel Sanabria, the Uruguayan, had a phenomenal game at fullback, getting involved on that second goal. But then beyond that, just constantly not letting our players craft any sort of offensive chances. And then on the other side, Vitinho, a Brazilian winger. And then in the midfield, you have a player like Dieter Villalpando, honestly incredibly underrated in my opinion. And my overall takeaway was like, dude, Atletico San Luis have put together a weird but 
very talented team, man. I mean, Leo Bonatini, he has an entire career in Europe. He didn't really play that much, but constantly being on the bench just in any European club and like actually coming off the bench and playing week in, week out in Europe, I think means a lot. And for Atletico San Luis to get a player like that, crazy. And then again, they have like a Brazilian winger in Vitinho. And then again, John Murillo, Venezuela's best, finest as far as wing play is concerned. So they've really managed to build a pretty strong team and low-key whoever ends up facing them which i believe is going to be america and we'll get into that later but i honestly think they're gonna have a very tough time against this incredibly driven and feisty atletico san luis side completely agree with this analysis man that really sums up the uh incredible ability that san luis had on the day but i'm gonna harp on leon here bro no go I think this is one of the biggest choke jobs I've seen from a team that going into the match was clearly the better team yeah. based off of the regular season. We're talking about a six seed losing at home 3-1 to a 12 seed. Funny enough, this reminded me of like the, what we've talked about, a huge choke job, Liverpool, when they lost to uh, Atletico Madrid in the Champions League uh, knockout ah, stages. Yeah, yeah, What's yeah. funny is that a choke job, once again, comes at the hands of the Atletico franchise. Right. <laughs> it's like the, what they're known to do, man, when yeah. it matters the most. But not just that. A huge comparison I saw in this, one that I, I truly, really believe in. Bro, Atletico San Luis are the fucking Heat. And Leon are the Bucks. <laughs> and <laughs> Atletico San Luis have gathered themselves a, a team of of somewhat mediocre players, but that are willing to just play at a really high level on the day. And they defeated a team that was just vastly better throughout this whole regular season. 17 games in, Leon was a better team by far. They get thrown into this play-in matchup. And Atletico San Luis finally, finally decides to just turn it up, to show up on the biggest stage and go at it. And now I'm looking at them the same way that you could look at the Miami Heat and the NBA for any NBA fanatics that might listen to us. The fucking Heat are a threat now. Yeah. And I think the Atletico San Luis is the same goddamn thing. But to go back to it, man, I heard the commentator say something on the broadcast that really stood out to me. He described the Atletico San Luis forwards as Panthers. Yeah, dude. Panthers. Yeah. Because their clinicality and effectiveness was on fucking 10 this game. They decided to just be on top of their shit offensively. And unfortunately, if you're Leon, it just caught you at a bad time, man. It really did. But not just that, defensively, they showed up as well. Only conceding that first early two minutes in goal. But look at these numbers, man. These numbers baffle me. Ball possession. 72% Leon to 28% for Atletico San Luis. That fully just tells me that Atletico San Luis took the chances that they had. Though very few, which was 22 shots to 9 shots. Very few they were able to capitalize. But give credit to their defense, bro. Because the most mind-blowing statistic I got from this game was... 48 clearances for Atletico San Luis in this match. That's one every two minutes, bro. I I, I looked at all the other playing games. They were at like 20, 25 for the more defensive side. 48 is ludicrous. It's crazy. And that's just a sign of a team that bunkered in at the end of the day. Like you said, made it very, very hard for Leon to penetrate and to capitalize upon and just did their job, executed a game plan that 
in their eyes was a fucking genius move. Genius. And they leave Estadio León as winners with a 3-1 defeat over a six seed in this tournament. And now they're set off to face off against America, man. Yeah. Shout out Atletico San Luis because I, I, I know you said it wouldn't be easy, but bro, I, I, I fucking, I went, I, I did not give this team their credit. The whole season, I haven't given them credit, bro, because they're fucking 12 seed, man. They're yeah. one of the fifth, they're like the fifth worst team in Liga Mekis. And they get into this tournament and they just take advantage of the play-in tournament format. And we see them here now with an incredible opportunity to do something special if it continues. Yeah, dude, I love that heat comparison because I think it's spot on, man. A pretty below average season for Atletico San Luis. But come playoff time, man, every single player just turned it up to 10, to turn it up to 11. And they went off. I honestly, over the course of the 90 minutes, even though Leon did have more possession and obviously just more maybe chances at goal, Atletico San Luis looked a better team. For me, on the day, on the day, in the playoffs, Atletico San Luis looked more deadlier offensively and more sure of themselves defensively. And the result of 3-1 win on the road. That's how good Atletico were. And as you said... As the Heat are a threat now in the playoffs in the NBA, I genuinely think Atletico San Luis, if they play the same way, I do think they can beat anybody in Liga MX right now. Yeah, so if you're Leon, I mean, you're just setting your sights on the CONCACAF Champions League final then. Because yeah. that's what's disappointing, though, is that, bro, they got two massive results against Tigres back-to-back. Yeah. The momentum was there for him. This one was an easy matchup uh, on paper. Yeah. But it ends up being a loss. I mean, it would have been great if they could have if they could have vied for a Liga MX title as well as a CONCACAF Champions League. But I guess speak a little bit about that. How, will, they, how, how are they going to take this, this defeat? And how do you see it affecting their finals performance coming in about, I think, a month? Yeah, my, my overall conclusion is, very disappointed because we did have, I would say, a very solid season. Under Larcamon, we've been able to employ his ideas. And slowly but surely throughout the season, we've looked like we've kind of adhered to the identity that he wants to have at Leon. So I was like, okay, we, we know how we want to play. We have the players to do it. And we have the record to show that it's working. Beyond that, we're in a CONCACAF Champions League final going into this play. And so I'm like, all right. Just as you said, the momentum is 100% on our side. We have the team, the coaching staff, and the people of Leon in that stadium to get us through this game against Atletico San Luis. So a 3-1 loss is honestly really devastating. I'm incredibly disappointed, especially with that second-half performance because we didn't do anything. We really didn't do anything. I, and I was, no matter who we put on, Jairo Moreno, Joel Campbell, Nothing changed. And honestly, got worse. <laughs> it, it genuinely got worse the longer the game went on. I think going forward, I'm just going to kind of chalk this one down to maybe we just need more time under the coach. Maybe we need some new players. But specifically, the type of personnel we need, I just think we need more offensive weapons other than Davila. Because Davila can only go off for like 20, 30 minutes at a time. And that's pretty much it over a course of 90 minutes. We can't expect him to get the ball and just go at players every single time. Beyond that, we really don't have anything. Platano's good, but I don't think he can, you know, dominate a wing like other players in Liga MX can. And then strikers, we ultimately really haven't replaced Mauro Boselli from like 40 years ago. We just haven't gotten the type of 
pedigree of a striker to really just be a solid number nine that we can just fling balls to or have build up play with. Lucas De Llorio's good, but just in flashes. Like he can get me five to seven goals a season, but like in big, big games, you know, I don't think he's going to do much. I'm going to be completely honest. And then, you know, midfield creativity, I think, is lacking too. So I do think there's some personnel that we can get maybe over the offseason to improve our chances, but I don't know. I think there's a lot that we need to do to be like title contenders. We are in a CONCACAF Champions League final, but honestly, after this performance, and especially knowing that we're playing against LAFC, yeah, my, uh, my hopes are pretty low, going to be completely honest. I, I, I think we can make it a battle, but two legs and one of them being in LA, which is a fortress right now, I just don't really see us realistically beating them. So, yeah, I think it'll just be a disappointing end of the season Damn. overall. Damn. But it was like a, we had a good season, but when, when it really matters, I think our weaknesses truly show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think on that CONCACAF Champions League topic, I think I, I'm seeing LAFC as the favorite for sure. For That's sure. No doubt. Um, I could see Leon just, you know, finding a way to really put all their efforts into this match. It's what's left for them. It's the, one of the most important games in Leon history. Bro. That's, that's so true. So I true. hope that they don't go into it with a defeated type of attitude. But yes, the weapons they have are lesser than LAFC. And LAFC right now is just flying high on so many different levels. Even the path they went on to get to this point, I think, has been very admirable. So let's see what happens. I'm going LAFC on that one. And uh, I want to know then, I guess you as a fan, does Leon end up lifting the CONCACAF Champions League trophy? And if the answer is yes, look me in the eyes and say that to me. <laughs> because <laughs> we're talking about LAFC right here, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, I want to see it. I want to hear it. Yeah, so to make it definitive, Leon, LAFC, who's going to win that title? LAFC is my, pick, my pick. Damn. Yeah. yeah. I just think they have the better team. And... Kind of looking at how Atletico San Luis have a really good offensive line. Well, LAFC's is just as good, if not honestly better. Oh, yeah. So we're going to concede. And I think we'll get a goal, maybe two, but we're going to have to really be on it. And again, over two legs, I think LAFC is just going to have that advantage. Yeah, and pers personally, because I really have no dog in this fight. Personally, I would love to see LAFC because I'm more confidence in them. And whatever <laughs> club World Cup format comes to be, I have more confidence in them being a very good representative of the CONCACAF region. If not one of the best ones we've seen in recent memory, yeah. if they do go on to beat Leon and face off against these European, South American, African sides. And I would love to see them kind of stick around, have that same unit. Carlos Vela, Dennis Buanga yes. leading the lines and just, you know, potentially menacing these other stronger teams. I would love to see it, man. I really would and so that's where my i guess short fandom of lafc is coming from the idea of seeing them thrive and represent concaf on a much bigger stage yeah 100 agree bro because the mls have the reigning champions in a concaf champions league final finally you know we actually have a team who's in good form now and was in good form a year ago. So this team has a lot to show against, you know, European South American opponents. So yes, I'm fully with that idea that I think LAFC would just be a much better pick in general as far as like what is what is the best CONCACAF team right now. Yeah, way better than what Seattle did, man. The way Thank better. God. Way better. <laughs> and, and when you think about who Seattle faced a mid Puma side. 
Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. So the yeah, last year's final was pretty weird. Sides. It was really weird. Yeah. So the fact that we have a really good team on form, man, I'm really happy that it's LAFC. So on the topic of unexpected results, we continue speaking about Liga and Mekis play-in where we had Pachuca, the defending reigning champions, facing off against 13th seeded. Yeah. Santos. 13. <laughs> 13. And a 17 team league. <laughs> Crazy. We are in Pachuca Stadium here, and I just want to quickly harp on it once again. Pachuca fans. If we have any Pachuca fans that watch the give and go, why is your stadium never sold out or even like 80% packed, dude? Yeah, dude, it was it's empty. We're talking about defending champions of the Liga and Mekis. The biggest game of the season so far. You're starting off the journey of defending your title. And there's like, what, 60% capacity here? Mm. I know that they were under some stadium reconstruction from what I saw. But even then, man, I think from, from the capacity that they could have had, they fell a little short, man. So I want to know, Pachuca fans, what's going on there, man? What's going on? Because I feel like it's been going on for years. Outside of that, we had a hell of a match, man. And we had potentially a nominee for one of the greatest matches of this season. This is crazy game, man. And no matter what was happening over the course of this entire match, I never thought Santos would even get close to winning this game. <laughs> like, even though they equalized three times, I was like, there's no way they're going to win this. They were always chasing it, which they is funny. Always they always chasing never had the lead. it. No, and it never looked convincing when it was tied. <laughs> it always looked like, oh, Portugal are going to get a two-goal lead eventually. Yeah. You know, it always looked like they were going to take it to Santos. But somehow, immediately after Santos would concede, they would have a crazy five to ten minute period where they would have a great response. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and it worked. But bro, <laughs> the first two goals that Santos responded with to tie it 1-1 and 2-2, really weird. Both of them headers. Yeah, yeah. And both of them oh, unmarked. Yeah, yeah. The corner kick, bro. Dude. That was abysmal. So abysmal. weird from Pachuca's defense, yeah. man. Gabrala on one of them just let what is it preciado or torres uh, torres yeah. Felix torres yeah, yeah. yeah let just let him blow past him and he didn't even look like he wanted to challenge no, it no, yeah that was so weirdly stale i don't know why that happened i don't know and it, like he just didn't put any sort of body nothing and so santos virtually in my opinion got two free goals and it's all because of pachuca's lack of defensive awareness mm-hmm. The one stat that stood out to me about this matchup, I'm going to go expected goals here. We know the expected goal stat where it tries to calculate based off of the opportunities you created, how many of those opportunities generated actual goal scoring Mm -hmm. chances, and it kind of relates a number to it. If you had a bunch of chances, your goal scoring rate is higher. If you didn't, it's lower. Santos only had an expected goal of 2.06. They got four, bro. Yeah. They got four. Whereas Pachuca had 3.90 evens out. Almost because it, double? Almost double, dude. That checks so out, it's though, so, It's so confusing. Yeah, it's it just so... Out. It's so... It baffles me how, at the end of the day, you look at the top corner of the, str- of the screen, and it says Pachuca four, Santos four. But the manner of which they went about generating those opportunities, I mean, I thought it was second to none. I thought this was Pachuca's, man. Yes. Pachuca lost this fucking game. I'm not even sure if Santos won it, bro. Yeah, I don't think, I think they, they did. Just, they just tied it at the end of the day. <laughs> and they go to penalties. Yeah. And we see Santos end up winning the lottery in that sense. Such a toss-up and a penalty shootout. Two amazing saves, I believe, to push them over the brink. And Santos is celebrating away from home a massive, massive victory. My question to you is... It's crazy. Because I consider the Leon Atletico San Luis matchup a bit of a choke job. Is it the same for Pachuca? Or was this more of a game where it just 
didn't go your way at the end of the day because Santos did end up scoring four fucking goals on them. Yeah, but for me, the Santos only scored one really good goal. They earned all four. I'm not saying they didn't earn them because they fought for it. But in my opinion, Pachuca gave them three, especially those first two. That last goal that Doria, Doria, scored, Doria the Brazilian, that last goal that he scored, that was just a bit chaotic because yeah. everyone was forward. The keeper was forward. Literally the last play of the game. And first off, what a well-struck yeah. ball from Brunetta. Yeah. Oh, and he had himself an incredible game. He looked like the only guy that could truly attack and hurt this Pachuca defense. But that ball that he put in right in front of the keeper, so deadly. And Doria with honestly a nice rebound finish. Mm-hmm. Crazy scenes to equalize it at the death. So, choke job, yeah, because I just feel like Pachuca's defense was way too lackadaisical. Way too just unaware of how deadly Santos could be with their physicality. And they let them back into the game each time. So, in my opinion, it is kind of a choke job from Pachuca because they should have won this game. They just should have. That's now the top two seeds in the play-in getting knocked out by the weaker team. Is that a sign that maybe Liga Mekki should keep this format? Because they're changing it next that. season. And I thought if the reverse had happened, that'd be more incentive to them for them to go back to the old format because these lesser, weaker teams weren't winning. But bro, if we're seeing the 13th and 12th seed defeat five and six season, yeah. what does that mean, man? I know. I know, dude. I had the same contemplation and Atlas getting an away, mm-hmm. away win. Tigres were the only side that won at home which is crazy. Three out of four were all the underdog team. My thing is... Is that just Liga and Mekis then? Yeah, I I feel like we do need to crunch it back down to eight teams. Don't have the play-in, even though this is a perfect example as to having the play-in. I think keeping it at eight will give the regular season matches more weight. Because... Five with five games left, Atletico San Luis, for example, would have to be like, all right, guys, we can't leave it till a playoff game. We have to turn on now. And then if they have a really good end of the season, then they would deserve to be like an eighth or seventh seed. So I feel like allowing 12 teams just doesn't make the games during the regular season as important. So I actually do want them to go back to eight, and they will, even despite these crazy results, because it will bring more importance back to the regular season games. Yeah, I think I agree with that. But, man, it's just it's just crazy seeing a Game of the Year nominee happen in this play-in <laughs> tournament and then just being like, we're going to stray away from that. That is know? true. <laughs> yeah, you're, that, yeah. that alone is pretty jarring. <laughs> that now sets up Santos Laguna as an eight seed to face off against the number one seed, Monterrey, yeah. and Atletico San Luis as a seven seed facing off against America at the two seed. Last week, we spoke about the Cruz Azul versus Atlas matchup. And I believe we both said Atlas for this one. I know mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. Because I compared Atlas to another NBA analogy. If you don't watch NBA, then you're losing out, man, because <laughs> playoffs are crazy. But I compared Atlas to the Golden State Warriors. Back-to-back champions at one point and the ability to step up when it's needed the most because of the caliber of players that they have. And then I stated that Cruz Azul, obviously, I made a little bit of a joke about how I hate any team that employs Carlos Uriel Antuna, but that is a serious point. I don't see their offense as a threatening offense. And not just that, every time I see Duca Ferretti on the sidelines managing this team, bro, he smoked a cig at one point. <laughs> this team has him stressed. Stress, this bro. team has him confused. And he does not look calm at all on the sidelines. Every time the camera pans over to him, he looks like a goddamn madman. 
So for me, I thought it was clear that Atlet- that Atlas is very likely to step up in this game and have themselves a very important result where despite having a somewhat underwhelming season, they start moving the chains towards a potential title contending playoff situation. Yeah, dude. And what do we see, man? We saw what I consider the Camilo Vargas legacy game. <laughs> Dude, he went off, man. Dude, that one crazy yeah. save where he's like just bro, Off of Charlie's volley? Yeah. Nuts, bro. And just the show he put on, man. Yeah. That one play where like he like cramped up and he just started fucking flailing, <laughs> yeah. bro. Like the fucking audacity, bro. But yeah. it, it had every single element that he is known for all within a 90-minute time capsule. An amazing save, amazing leadership, some really solid uh, moments, yeah. but then other moments of just pure uh, clownish activities, right, which right. is just what he's known for. And it's yeah. so good to see because he's done it time and time again to lead Atlas to these very good matchups. But it's just a sign of their defense being stout, getting zero goals scored on this match, a clean sheet, and a very important goal scored just a couple minutes into the match. Yeah, man. This game went exactly as I thought it would with Atlas just being the better team. This Cruz Azul team is disorganized and they don't look fully motivated. I'm going to be completely honest. They look like somewhat of a broken team. And even being at home in the Estadio Azteca, I always thought Atlas would win Mm -hmm. this game. And even though the margin looked tight on paper, I thought Atlas were clearly the better team over the entire match and fully deserved. And kind of similar to Atletico San Luis, I'd be very concerned if you have to play Atlas over a two-legged affair because they are good. Once again, Julian Quinones, I just realized, 12 goals this season. Yeah. 12. God damn. He's just, he's maintained his consistent goal scoring performances for the last like two years, man. And yeah, he's really shown me that he's an elite player in this league. And if you have to face him, just watch out, bro. Osiel Herrera, I think getting like, what, five, seven assists this year. Yeah. Uh, So also having a really good season. And Alas, as I had previewed it, are in really good form right now. And the coach, Benjamin Mora, man. Have you seen this guy's resume? No. Yeah, dude, I just looked it up going into this playing game because I wanted to know where he was from because I had not seen him coach in Liga MX before. So I was like, where is this guy? Is he like a new guy? Is this his first job? Benjamin Mora never really coached top-tier football in Mexico, but he got his first big opportunity in Malaysia. Okay. Literally like a year ago. Okay. Won a title there. Oh, shit. Became the first Malaysian club to get into the knockout stages of the AFC Champions League. Wow. Pretty crazy. That's massive. And massive. That's football heritage. It really is. Like, he made <laughs> Malaysian history. Wow. Damn. Pretty cool. Damn. They would go on is to face... Mexican? He's Mexican. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He ended up leaving after qualifying, so he actually didn't get to see his own performance ah. in the knockout stages. But still, just to have that feat attached to his name, I think is really cool. Diego Coca leaves Atlas for the Mexican national team job, and Atlas call up Benjamin Mora yes, from Malaysia to come coach Atlas. And it ends up looking like a really good move, man, because I think he, he looks like an Atlas coach. Really? Low-key, kind of reminds me of like El Cholo Simeone, at least for the way that he Whoa, carries himself. Okay. But what I loved about it, I love it when coaches do this. Throughout the entire regular season, he just wears usually like a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of a really relaxed yeah. vibe. It has like a beard, maybe some tattoos. But for this playoff game, 
comes in with a suit, a red tie, and he's ready for the occasion, man. I love it when coaches do yeah. that because they're just like, all right, I'm not fucking around no more. And I just wonder what the players do. Like, coach, what the fuck? Yeah, for real, man. And like, I can just see him at home putting on that suit. Yeah. His wife's just so happy to see him all dressed up. Yeah. And he's just feeling himself. Yeah, bro. But he's also nervous because, you know, there's a big moment for him right here. He's yeah. vying for a promotion himself, you yeah. know? Damn, dude. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's a that's a very cute, adorable thing about about football head coaches, man. They have it, their dude. own little arc going out throughout going on throughout the whole season. Yeah, so I'm so curious to see how far he can take this at last side, man. And again, well, I truly thing. do think that they have the offensive weapons and ability to pretty much attack any Liga MX defense. Whether they have the all-around defense to take on offenses like Monterrey or America in the long run, I don't know. Uh, but nonetheless, I think Alas are a very good team. One game at a time, dude. And I, I'm yeah. saying, if he is able to overcome his local rival, oh, rival Chivas, the three seed, yeah. I think that'll be a big moment for him. That'd be huge. I think we'll see him in a penguin tuxedo, bro. Semi-final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> that will be massive. Atlas, I think, in recent memory, has kind of had Chivas's number, dude. Mm. Uh, I just looked through the Chivas's league results because I, I hadn't really thought about this matchup yet. Chivas against Atlas. Chivas, the team, that, obviously, that I support. That's my squad. I remember throughout the season that there was a team that really caused us some issues, man. And, of mm. course, it was America who beat us 4-2 in El Clasico. But the other one was Atlas. Yeah. Tied them 3-3, three to three, bro. Damn. A shootout where we both went head-to-head, head and it was back and forth. And I'm just using that as an indication of what we could potentially expect. I think it's going to be a crazy matchup, bro. Yeah, yeah. I think this matchup might be one of the most fun ones to look forward to out of all four matchups in the playoffs now because it's a rivalry. It's a bit of a derby. But both teams are at a very good level right now. And Atlas ain't no typical six seed is how I see it, man. Yeah. So it's a battle of the historic team, Chivas, who is trying to make a new name for themselves after really disappointing past few seasons. And Naklas, who on the other hand used to be the little brother in this relationship, now has the most titles within the last five years. Yeah. And is probably going into this game not feeling too down on themselves. Bro. I was about to say, so honestly. I say all that I say all that to say this. <laughs> I'm a little scared, bro. Yeah, yeah, you I'm should a little be. scared. You should be. And I think I should. Yeah, I really do. Two debut head coaches and Baunovic. Oh yeah, against yeah, Atlas's yeah, yeah. head coach. I really like how this is shaping itself out to be. And I'm gonna be nervous on the sidelines watching that, bro. Yeah, yeah. But congratulations to Atlas because mm. I much rather face them a tough opponent in the quarterfinals versus this Cruz Azul team, which I think ah, at the end of the day is no. fucking trash. Yeah, dude. And, and kind of to go off what you said at the very beginning, Duca Ferretti on the Cruz Azul sideline just doesn't work for me. Mm-mm. It doesn't work for me. And honestly, it kind of makes me sad because the divorce between Ferretti and Tigres, I think has been bad for both parties, man. Like, and we'll get into that Tigres Puebla game because I just don't think this Tigres team is it, man. Mm. And I don't think they've been it mm. since Tuca left. Mm. And for Tuca himself, I don't think he's found much success outside of Tigres since leaving them. Juarez was weird. And then now at Cruz Azul, it's just, it's not working. Tuca's a equipo grande type of guy, not equipo chico. Yeah, yeah exactly. And we're talking about equipo chico. <laughs> this is a small, small team at the end of the day. No disrespect. To, well, a little bit of disrespect to no, fans because that result was abysmal, man. It was bad. So let's talk about Tuca Ferretti's ex, his old club, a club that was a kingdom at one point for Liga MX. It was a so team that so was 
at its height, defeating the Copa Libertadores champions in the Club World Cup yeah. and winning titles nonstop or at least vying for Liga MX titles year in, year out. They just came off of a loss against Leon in the semifinals where they blew their 2-1 lead, losing 4-3 on aggregate. Congratulations, Leon. And now they have this tournament left to compete for and hopefully win. To preface, I said that Tigres would end up becoming champions of this tournament before the season started. And so I do have a little bit of uh, of a horse in this race. Consider that. Maybe think of it like a little pony, maybe. Yeah, okay, you know, okay. A, little, a little pony. You're still cheering for him. <laughs> yeah. Even though, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. his chances aren't as high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I don't mind if I'm wrong in this case. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. Uh. Facing off against Puebla, a team that has been renowned for their offensive capabilities, the incredible coaching prowess they used to have with Larcamon, but they've always been able to just be a almost a mid-tier team with a very strong potential for upsets. Yeah, yes. So not going to be an easy game for Tigres. And the game starts off, and I want to know, what did you think? Similar to the Atlas Cruz Azul game and the way that I predicted it, this game basically played its cards the exact way that I thought it would. I thought Puebla would be feisty. They would not have a lot of the ball and not create that many chances, but they would have the ability to attack this Tigres side, and they would have the know-how to frustrate Tigres' offense because I just don't rate this Tigres offense, man. I think Gignac is, might be showing his age finally. Finally, and that's not an insult. I just think no, it's the no, no. true fact. Like 36 now yeah. as a number nine. He's not running as much. His touches just aren't as clean. His striking ability just isn't as good as it once was. And the thing is, at his peak, it was God tier. You know, yes, he was scoring 15 yes. goals in a 17-game season t- type yes. shit. He still has seven goals on the season now, which is still pretty good, honestly. Mm-hmm. But it does just show me that I think Gignac is a step off. When you look at who you have on the wings, Raifu on one side, Diego Linus on the other, I just don't see a lot of clinical type of play. I see a lot of dribbling. And I see a lot of ineffective penetration. And to me, it just looks like a team of individuals, man. And I don't think it comes together to become a really good team that can make a deep playoff run. And at the end of the day, what do you get? A 1-0 win against a decent but not even great Puebla side? And the thing is, Puebla had a penalty. They had a penalty that De Buen fucked. Like, really bad. What? What? I got a little thing to talk about here, man. Why? What's going on with penalty selections, man? The people that step up to take it. Bro, he's a center back. Yeah. And I understand he's a captain. You know, he's your guy. But <sighs> similar to like Ilkay Gundogan missing a penalty in the Premier League when you have when you have Erling Holland on the pitch. Right. What's going on, man? Why? I, I, don't you feel a little frustrated that that's your go-to option in a moment that big, bro? Because he fluffed it, bro. No, he didn't fluff it. He, he, he fucked it up, dude. Yeah. He fucked up Puebla's opportunity, the biggest moment of the season for him, and he shoots it wide. Yeah. You got to get a better person on the ball there, man. Yeah, no, 100%. Omar Fernandez, who created the penalty chance, should have taken it. He's OG at this point in the league. One of the craftiest Colombian Uyghurs that have played in, in the league for the last five, seven years. Let him take the shot. He's used to scoring goals anyway. He has the craft for it. I think the only reason was De Buen was the captain. I really do think that was the only reason. But when he missed it, the camera panned to like the whole defensive line of Puebla and they just put their hands in their head. And like that was just a sign of like, if we can't trust our captain, 
we ain't winning this game. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened the rest of the 20 minutes because Tigres just kind of saw the game out. But I really didn't have a big chance after that. And yeah, Tigres get the win, but I'm just not convinced. I, I don't care. I, yeah. I, I'm not convinced by this side. Yeah, shout out uh, Anthony Silva. I, I thought that he did everything he could to oh, keep yeah. this game 1-0, to keep them uh, in the game. He was a very goal. He was very good in goal. Eight total saves in this match. Yeah. That's a good amount. And then... Um, <laughs> One takeaway I had, bro. Why does Cordova always look so bored? He <laughs> okay, is okay. so <laughs> emotionless. Okay. But yeah. but to point that, I think it's concerning. I don't know if he enjoys playing football, bro. Mm. I really don't. He was the goal scorer for Tigres in the situation here, and he barely showed any passion or excitement. He just scores. He just scores the goal. And he just starts jogging, you know, towards the corner. Like it's like it's something he has to do. Yeah. Like he's expected to just go over there and you know show some love to the fans. He's got amazing skill on the ball. But even when I see him play, I I, I never see him play with like that that bruteness. And I know that maybe he might be more of a smooth type of slower player, perhaps. But overall, man, I, I'm starting to his body language. I'm mm-hmm. starting to get a little concerned about because I feel like if he had a little bit more of that that uh, hunger in him. Perhaps he'd be able to elevate himself as a player too. But with what he's at right now, it, it seems like he's almost settling for mm. his talent. And although it works and you see him score game winners in Liga playing games, I just I don't I wonder if this is the height of Cordoba right here. And I and I wonder if his approach to the game has any impact on that. Yeah, I well crazy takeaway, because now that I think about it, when you look at Cordoba's career and how it's panned out. I think the move away from America probably wasn't what he wanted. When he was going through the ranks there, at, you know, let's just say at the biggest club mm-hmm. in Mexico. Oh, okay, we can do that. <laughs> <but> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the way that I saw his trajectory going, and honestly, the, probably the way that he saw it himself was he was going to be a mainstay and a starting central midfielder at America. So when he made that move to Tigres, I was like, okay, this is weird. It's kind of like Pizarro going into Miami. And look what's happened since Pizarro made that move. It just doesn't work out sometimes. And I think when you make the wrong career move, it can like affect a player emotionally. Griezmann going to Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And I, on, on a much smaller scale, I think Cordoba going to Tigres, I just I don't think he wants to be there. I really don't think so because when you look at you know the ranks that he came through at America and the rise that he had, I think he saw himself as a bigger type of player mm-hmm. for that club. And for him to leave it, it's like, okay, well then what am I supposed to be? Yeah, yeah. he's having identity issues. Yes, bro. that's what I think it is. Yeah. And beyond that, Tigres have had a weird season. It doesn't look like they're going to make a deep run in this playoffs. Gignac might leave at the end of the season. They've had three different coaches, bro. Three different coaches when the last like six months, that's not Tigres. That's not Tigres at all. It's not what they once were when they had that kingdom sure, that you so sure. perfectly described. This club is, I think, overall in an identity crisis, and they're just trying to piece things together with El Dente Lopez, like Diego Linus too. And that was another weird takeaway for me when I really looked at it. I was like, it's kind of weird that Linus is back in Mexico already. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like a, he's like a constant weird reminder of like just Mexico's failure as a whole. Yeah, like yeah. we failed Linus like yeah. as a country, and he himself failed himself like to be back here. It's like seeing 
your kid come back home at like 30 years old. Yeah. You're like, uh, shit, did we do something wrong? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, what's 100%. going on, man? <laughs> you should have been something else. You should have been a CEO. You should have been a bigger, yeah. a bigger person, bro. Yeah. And uh, every time I just see him on the ball, despite him getting the assist in this game, mm-hmm. which is which was nice to see, I, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I feel like any good that he generates in Liga Mekis is somewhat pointless because I agree. It, it just mattered more in Europe. And he was destined for greater. Yeah. And I'm just constantly reminded of, I guess, the talent that he's, in a way, wasting. Yeah. Yeah. So Tigres as a whole, bro, make me hella depressed. <laughs> just in general. <laughs> There's so much to be sad about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there really is, man. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy. Well, they'll be, they'll be set to face off against Toluca, the fourth seed. Tigres, the fifth seed. And let's look at the whole bracket now itself, Please. now that it's been figured out and set in place. All right, the first matchup will be the number one seed, Monterrey, facing off against the number eight seed, Santos Laguna. This one, Monterrey's all day long. They've continued their incredible form from last season, but this time I just think they're a little bit fed up that they didn't get further in La Liga in the Apertura. So I think they have a point to prove. Couple that with the fact that, in my opinion, they're playing a pretty weak Santos side, even though they show that they can fight over two legs. I'm going to back Monterrey the entire way. So Monterrey winning this one for me. Yeah, I think uh, Santos Laguna used up all their good juju in mm. that playing game. And props to them, man. They did great. They were able to qualify <laughs> via just a chaotic Crazy. back and forth match that went to penalties. But if you're Monterrey here, you got to just go for it. You got to assert your dominance. You got to play to a high level because I do think out of all the teams this season, I mean, I do think they were deserving of the number one seed. They were the clear, better team, ranging from what started off with a loss against Chivas in that first game. From that moment on, they were just incredible. Incredible the whole time out. Despite seeing the playing field as somewhat even amongst the top teams, I do think they have a slight edge above the second best team. Mm. So for me, Monterrey is a team to beat in this tournament, and I have them winning this matchup. They'll be facing off against the winner of the number four seed, Toluca, facing off against the number five seed, Tigres. Based off of the dismal review I gave Tigres against their game against Puebla, I'm going Toluca on this one. I think Toluca are still a really good team. I don't really see them getting to a final, although I didn't really see them getting to the final in the Apertura. But beyond that, I just think Tigres are a very, very beatable side. Toluca are more well-rounded, in my opinion. So, Toluca Tigres, Toluca. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about Pachuca as defending champions and kind of the, I guess what you could call the failure of a season they've had now that they got kicked out of the play-in by a weaker Santos Laguna squad. But Toluca has been kind of on a, like a little bit of a revenge tour, you know? The way they went out in last year's finals was... One of the worst things I've ever seen on Liga MX field. So bad. So bad. Um, Traumatizing for Toluca fans. And uh, for the players themselves, a heartbreaking performance. But you use that as motivation. Use that as fuel to compete in this tournament and to potentially go back to the final to see yourself avenge that loss, to see yourself regain that confidence, and to see yourself as a Liga MX champion. That's what Toluca's playing for. Tigres, we've described as one of the most depressing sides we've seen in recent memory because of Gignac's imminent departure mm. of players like Linus, Cordova, just kind of being weird, bro. Yeah. Weird players. 
high good moments, but also some really bad lows, bro. Some really bad ones. The form they're in right now is also very confusing, losing out in CONCACAF Champions League and now defeating a Puebla side in the plane that ended up being very close and coming down to a missed penalty in order to get through. Yeah. I think I'm going to go to Luca here. Despite my pick, my preseason oh, pick man. of Tigres, I'm going to Luca here. I think I like what I see from Toluca more. And as I mentioned with Monterrey, I feel like any team within the top four is a potential contender. And since Toluca is right on that edge at the number four seed, I see them as a potential contender, man. And I could see them, if they just find their form in this tournament, being the team to lift the trophy at the end of the season. And I think they've been gifted an opportunity here to really make a statement to, I guess, all of Liga Mekis facing off against one of the more popular teams in Tigres. But a Tigres side that is not the same team that it used to be. I have Toluca winning this matchup with a predicted score of, let's go, 3-2 on aggregate. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how Toluca play in this matchup. I do expect them to win. But as far as being title contenders, I need to see them in a playoff setting. I know they had a good season, which I was actually very kind of impressed with, given that they did so poorly in the Apertura final. But they pretty much just put that behind them and said, we're still a good club because they have almost the exact same team. And that exact same team is really good. So I just need to see them in the playoff setting, though, just to really see if they can actually like lift the whole thing. I don't think they will. But I do think they'll beat Tigres, yeah. Next up is the number two seed, America, facing off against the number seven seed, Atletico San Luis. <sighs> Atletico San Luis coming off of an amazing result, 3-1 against your very own Leon. Mm. And America having a stellar season once again and ending up as a top two seed. For this one, man, I think I'm going to reveal my pattern here in prediction making. I have the higher seeds winning. I have every single higher seed in this tournament winning. I have America defeating Atletico San Luis. Although, at the end of the day, I do see Atletico San Luis as a very feisty squad that surprised the hell out of me. Dude. Defeating Leon and having such a big victory away from home. I just think America is the type of team to not let a squad like Atletico San Luis end up getting them. If it was Toluca, maybe. If it was even Chivas at this point, maybe. But America, who, has ha who ha does have a lot of experience in these tournaments right now, and who has a guy like Henry Martin scoring like crazy right now, I just don't think they'll let up like that. So I have America winning this matchup and going forward into the next round. I have the exact same take. Atletico San Luis impressed the hell out of me against Leon, and I do think they will cause America problems. But over the course of 180 minutes, I'm going to back... America's mentality over Atletico San Luis. So therefore, I'm going to go America win this tie. And obviously, they have a very good team. They've had two very good back-to-back -back campaigns as far as regular season is concerned. This America team is very talented, and they mean business so much so that I, I, I could see them going to the final. And I don't think Atletico San Luis is going to stop them. But, but, if Atletico San Luis can play the exact same way they did against Leon... I could see it being really tight, or at least maybe getting crazy in that first leg in, a, in San Luis. But overall, just, just to put it out there, I do think America will pull through because i just going to back them statistically. Yeah, I, I think Atletico San Luis was just so wildly clinical in that match against Leon. I don't see that being 
repeated, man. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's so the, that's hard the problem. to do, man. That's so hard to do. And the last matchup, and to me, my favorite matchup of the playoffs will be the number three seed Chivas facing off against the number six seed Atlas. A Guadalajara battle here. Two local rivals with a lot of history. And Atlas looking to vie for yet another title. Their third in, what, five years at this point? And Chivas looking to regain momentum and searching for, I believe, the 13th trophy in their trophy cabinet to equal America's total record. So a lot on the line here for both these squads because they're chasing some historic records. Oh, yeah. This one should be very exciting. This one should be very intense. But I do think there's a clear winner for this one. I do think I got to go bias here. I'm going Chivas, man. I really do think they have the clear, better team. Overall, as the whole season has gone on, they've shown to just impress. Every challenge that's been presented to them, they've stepped up with amazing defensive plays, with great goalkeeping from, from El Guacho Jimenez. And then offensively, they finally seem to figure out the formula that works for them best, where they're almost like a mini man city, bro. Because every week when I look to see who scored for Chivas, it could be any of, yeah. of like five or six different players. They don't really have one set guy that's bagging them all these goals. It's a team effort. And I think that's credit to Paunovic, who's really found a way to mold this squad and make the most out of each single player individually. Aklas, on the other hand, I think is just able to reach a very good peak when they're on their best form when they're just feeling themselves the players all know each other it's a very uh it's a team with a lot of chemistry and with championship winning grit so they are capable of big things but i think an exciting chivas squad that is almost a little bit unpredictable right now and hasn't been fully figured out yet is something i'm going to bank my prediction on rather than this aklas team who despite their high moments have shown some curious cases of uh, losing their momentum and their chemistry and their, honestly, inability to score at times throughout the regular season. I'm going Chivas, baby. Yeah, the determining factor on who wins this game, for me, is going to come down to Atlas's back line. If they can't cope with Chivas's movement or Chivas's ability to kind of attack from pretty much any direction, whether it's wing play, build up play, or just straight up striker type of play, then I think Atlas might get ran here. I, it, there's a possibility for it but if they stay stout which i don't know i i do think it's kind of like a coin toss at this point but depending on what that happens if they stay stout then i actually might back atlas's offense to be a little bit more clinical in high stress situations you already kind of said it they have championship mentality and that grit and what better player to have in those x-factor type of moments than a guy like julian quinones and if atlas's defense can assure their offensive line that, hey, we got it back here, then I'm actually going to back Atlas to beat Chivas in a high-stress situation. And if I had to pick a team that's a lower seed to upset the bigger team, it's going to be Atlas. And I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. I have Atlas beating Chivas in the quarterfinals. How about we do this? Let's just predict based off of who we thought would win these matches, who do you have winning the tournament then? With the final eight teams now being set in place, who do you see ultimately lifting the trophy as of right now? I'm going to go America. Mm. I'm going America. When I compare them to the next best team, which is Monterrey, I think they're just slightly, ever so slightly more stacked. And I think they're just as good. And Monterrey obviously had the better record, but I, I think it's marginal. America in these situations, knowing that they haven't won a title in, you know, in, a, in, a, in a while, 
And especially knowing that they got beat in the semifinals when they sh honestly should have beaten Toluca in the Apertura last year, in my opinion, I think they have kind of similar to what you said about, um, about Toluca. I think they're on a bit of a revenge tour right now. And I just don't see them losing in the quarters or semis. And I think they'll get to that final and ultimately lift it. And to just be a little bit more specific, when I look at their offensive weapons, Henry Martin, you know, probably the most prolific striker right now in Liga MX, that's on America's side. Then you add in the idea that you have a really highly effective provider in Diego Valdez, who's just been on fire ever since joining America and even before that at Santos. Zendejas has been very solid on the right wing, but then you still have good then you still have good center midfield play distribution and creativity with a player like Fidalgo. And then, of course, you have destroyer Richard Sanchez still commanding this defensive aspect of this America team. I just think they have a lot more star power than, let's say, the next best team in Monterrey. Monterrey have been very, very good, but I just don't think they can go the distance, man, as far as a playoff campaign is concerned. I think their left wing whether it's Arturo Gonzalez or I don't even know who else they try to play in that position, maybe Berterame, I think that's going to be their weak point because if the other side of Mesa's not working, they really don't have any other avenues of play. Yeah, so if the central play or the right wing play isn't working for Monterrey, I just think they get a little, things get a little hairy for them. And again, against a team like, let's just say America, I think America just have more tools to use. And so I have America lifting the title at the end of the season. Yeah, dude, it's so hard for me to not be biased here because I'm such an avid Chivas fan and we finally have a <laughs> yeah. good team, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So let me remove myself from that, truly. Okay. Monterrey, I do think, is a little bit predictable at times. Mm. And America is a very strong team. And the thing that gets me about America is that they've been kind of building towards this, man. I mean, I remember last season they were – on fucking fire yeah. going into I believe the semifinals until where they finally clashed out and they ended up losing in what I thought was an underwhelming exit but even the season before that and the season before that they've been active they've been a part of these ligas time and time again when is it going to come to fruition well I think a season like this is a very good nominee thing is I will never in my lifetime pick America to be champions of Liga MX it's <laughs> never in my right mind I just can't yeah, I just yeah, can't yeah, yeah. is Monterrey good enough for me to essentially go with them in this scenario i don't think so dude so if i look at chivas if i look at chivas solely for what they are which i think is such a true a genuine wild card i have no idea what chivas team is going to show up at this playoff man no idea yeah yeah the consistency that they've had throughout the regular season has really impressed me and honestly it feels so rare to me because i just have not seen that in such a long time but their, but their ability to win games, to score in such a variety of ways, a corner kick, set piece, uh, an Alexis Vega through ball, uh, yeah. Chicote Calderon, long-range shot going in. They have such a wide array of opportunities that they create offensively and an excitement behind them that gets me perked up, bro. It's like a college basketball team right now in yeah, a Cinderella yeah. run, man. Yeah. I think that what they have right now, if it's manifested correctly, could end with them lifting the Liga and Mekis trophy. And since I'm not going to go America, and since I'm not confident in Monterrey and Toluca, though I do see them as a viable candidate, I don't see them as good enough as Chivas. I'm going Chivas, baby. Yeah. I'm going Chivas, lift up what I believe will be their 13th trophy in their history. And I believe that will tie America's record of total trophies in Liga Mekis, asserting themselves once again as a relevant equipo grande 
in Liga MX and honestly just giving the fans a dream of a run because Baunovic coming into the team and the squad really taking into mind his approach to the game, doing it all within a one-year span will be very reminiscent of what Matias Almeida did with this squad almost eight, seven years ago. Yeah, dude, so reminiscent, especially in the sense that like this is such a team effort from Chivas. They're really utilizing everyone's specific set of skills, but all together really well under Panovic. Similar to Almeida, where it was just more about the spirit of the team working with each other to eventually win a title. Like it was it wasn't just good enough to have a good season. It was great enough to, you know, beat Tigres. Yeah. It's crazy. Like the Copa Mekis champions <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CONCACAF Champions, champions League, League champions as well. Yeah. Three biggest trophies we could get. Yeah. So the the height yeah, of that type of spirit yeah. can literally go time. to the top of CONCACAF. Yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll say this. I if if Chivas do beat Atlas and I, I think, in my opinion, I, I, it's more 50-50 because I do really highly rate Atlas. If they beat them, then I'll go ahead and say that I would back Chivas more so than I would back Monterrey. Yeah. 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 I just, I, I, like you said, I do see Monterrey is kind of predictable. Yeah. Whereas Chivas, I just think, have more tools and more ways to attack pretty much any type of defense. But yeah, I'm still going to America as my sole choice. We're ruling out Santos? <laughs> nah, dude. Fuck Santos, man. No disrespect, bro. I just don't rate this. I don't rate that team, bro. I don't rate that team at all, man. Damn, dude. Yeah, they did crazy against Pachuca, but like I said, I feel like Pachuca lost that more than Santos won it. Okay. All right.